Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Tyler knew Jim was the one. Will you marry me? But before they can tie the knot, Tyler knows there's one more thing he has to do. I really don't think they're as bad as you think they are. Just wait. It's time to meet the family. There's one more thing. Alvis. Tyler's my middle name. If that spider gets out. I don't think you understand how crazy my family actually is. My grandma's a little bit confused. Ah! Oh, oh, you're right, dear. I forgot the stuffing. My sister brings home a different boyfriend every year. How many times do I have to tell you? We're vegan. Vegans don't eat candy corn. My younger brother has way too much time on his hands. Did you know that if a tarantula loses its slug, it'll grow back next time it molts? <laughs> I love you, Rosie. So your family's not perfect. The important thing is that everyone has a place at the table. And it all comes together to make this fun, chaotic, messy life. Celebrating the chaos of family. All right, we got 10 seconds. Hey, has anyone seen Rosie? There it is! <laughs> oh, kitty. I wondered where you had gone. My Crazy Family. All right, hey, Liquid Church, glad you're here. Let's hear it if you have a crazy family. Do you have a crazy family? I'm glad you're here. We want to kick off kind of the holiday season. We've got Thanksgiving coming up, Christmas. My guess is in a few weeks, you're going to be sitting around a table with some people who are the crazy makers. If they're here with you today, don't point to them. Uh, that's impolite. But we want to welcome all of our campuses joining us across New Jersey, a lot of different counties. Glad you're with us. Today, I'm excited because we have a new member of our church family. His name is Nathan Thompson, and he's joining the Liquid staff as one of our teaching pastors. That's Nathan, his wife Jackie, and his two kids, Wesley and Selah. He is a graduate of Alliance Theological Seminary. We're very thrilled that he's on, on staff, and so he's going to be kicking off our series today. I'll be back next week, but he's got a great message. You're really going to enjoy this. In your program today, there's actually a page in notes if you want to follow along. So would you give a big liquid welcome to Pastor Nathan Thompson. Nathan, glad hey. to have you, buddy. It's great to be Thanks, here. Brother. Thank right. you. Well, good afternoon. How y'all feeling? Awesome. Well, listen, I'm so excited to be with you today. My Crazy Family, great series. I'm really excited to be kicking this off. And I thought, you know, I'm here, I'm kicking this off. Let me maybe introduce you to my crazy family. Is that okay? Oh, awesome. Well, listen, you know, oftentimes I'll introduce myself to people and say, hey, my name is Nathan Thompson. Nice to meet you. And they kind of look at me kind of confused. They go, okay, I can get the Nathan part. It's very exotic. But, but Thompson, you got to explain that a little bit to me. And I go, well, yeah, sure. I mean, isn't it obvious? I'm Irish, right? Can't you see? It's in, it's in my eyes, right? But in all seriousness, my parents, they're from India. They came here and, you know, and, uh, you know, my brother, my sister, and I, we're all born here, born and raised in the U.S. of A. And uh, let me tell you something. We are a crazy brood. Let me start by introducing you to my dad, Pastor Nehemiah Thompson. He's a pastor. And let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat, a liberal or a conservative, religious or irreligious. If you friend him on Facebook, he'll find some way to offend you. You know, he's what I call an equal opportunity offender. 
So he just has some crazy things that he'll put up there, and if you comment back, he'll delete them if he doesn't like it. So fair warning. Next is my sister Nisha, and my sister's great. She, you know, let me tell you some, she's pretty crazy bold. Here's something she's did. She moved to India without knowing the language, without knowing what she was going to do, no job, nothing lined up, just went to see what would happen, ended up starting an NGO that's a non-government organization. She's the brainiac, the brilliant, adventurous one. Love my sister. I get to see her uh, every one or two months when she's home. She's great. Then there's my brother Praveen. He's a jazz guitarist. He lives in Brooklyn, New York. He is an Indian hipster. And ladies, in case you're interested, he is single and ready to mingle. Okay? So if you want his number and info, I can give you his Twitter handle. So you can have that. But listen, this is kind of my crazy view. Before I kind of end here, though, I got to tell you about my mom, Sheila. My mom, Sheila, is phenomenal. I love my mom. She is great. She has said some of the quirkiest, craziest things. Here's a picture of her holding my daughter, Sayla. Uh, in fact, a couple of months ago, my sister and my brother and I were like, you know, mom says some of the funniest things, craziest things. We should start writing them down and have a blog or a book or something like that. I'm like, oh, that'd be great. And so I want to share with you some of the quirky things that my mom says, things like this line right here. She says, write a musical so I can dance with one leg and an umbrella. So, you know, I got permission from my mom before I shared these so she wouldn't be mortified. So I asked, she, she go, Mom, you got to explain this one to me. What's going on here? She goes, oh, well, Mary Poppins is like my favorite movie. Remember that time where she's dancing with the umbrella and I go, you know, Mom, I got to teach you how to whip a nene. That's really kind of your future, right? And she's like, oh, okay, that's nice. And, you know, one time I was with my mom and um, actually my, my sister was with my mom. She's telling us the story. Her phone goes off, makes this noise. And my mom goes, what is that, the internet? Keep on coming, internet, keep on coming. And, you know, my, you know, my mom, the smartphone is still a, uh, it's like a mystery, right? It's like a mystery box still. But she can text, she can call out, so that's the win. That's what we're excited about, right? And, you know, you know if you're like me, you can kind of look, look back at our families and go, man, our families are crazy, they're quirky. We love them, though, right? They're phenomenal, we like being with them. But what happens when the quirky becomes chaotic? And it's not simply, oh, they're just crazy funny. It's actually crazy demoralizing. And it's painful, and we actually feel a lot of dread and fear, when we know in a couple weeks, we're going to find ourselves right here at the table. We're going to find ourselves sitting at the table with some uncles, some aunts, some parents, and we're thinking, Jesus, I just want to survive the holidays. That's really all I want to do, Jesus. That's all I want to do. And you know what? We, we have some pretty quirky people, quirky, crazy people that are going to be coming to dinner, right? You know, maybe for you, you're going to have at this table what I call the uh, pushy politician, Right? The pushy politician. This is the person that's always talking about how much they hate Obama or how much they love Donald Trump or, or the other way around. You know, they, they are very political and they have no problem sharing their views. But God forbid if you disagree with them, right? If, if you, that's, it's like you're cut off from the family, right? And if it's not them, it's the holy rollers, right? These are the folks that always send you those really weird emails about blood moons, about who to vote for, why Starbucks cups are evil. You know those people? You're going to be sitting with them in a couple weeks. But, you know, it's not always the religious people that I would say are the holy rollers. You know who else you have? You've got your militant vegan cousin, right? You know they're coming, and they, you know, they judge you because you use, like, dairy products, right? Or they're thinking, oh, you still eat meat for Thanksgiving? Well, I brought a tofurkey, okay? What now? And so you're kind of going, oh, my gosh, what do I do with that? Then you have the Christmas couple, right? You know, they're the couple, they dated for like two weeks, but they take selfies every other moment, right? They're driving to Target, selfie, Instagram, shopping at Target, selfie, Instagram, leaving Target, selfie, and you're just going, man, 
I hate them. <laughs> they make me want to hate the holidays, right? You're going, oh my gosh, what do we do? And then finally you get the hater. This is a person, they just complain about everything, right? They complain about, all oh, the turkey's too dry, it's too loud, it's too noisy, and they just drain the life out of you at the holidays, and you're just going, oh my gosh, I just need to survive. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Any of you have crazy family coming over? Any of you? Okay, a couple. Okay, how many of you are the crazy family? Okay, you, okay or you're sitting next to them. All right, you don't, need to, you don't need to share that. We don't want to you know, get anyone hurt today. But listen. This is something that we're all going to have to deal with in a couple weeks. Wait, we've got some crazy family coming, or we're going to be hosting some crazy family. But you see, I don't think that Jesus has made us just to survive the holidays. I think he wants us to thrive. He wants us to push forward, because as when we make the choice to say, all right, Jesus, you, you're doing something here in the craziness of my family. I want to embrace that and walk in that. So what would it look like for us to say yes to what Jesus is doing at the dinner table in a couple weeks? See, this is one of the things I love about the scriptures is you see that I think Jesus has a plan for us in the midst of this. And as Christ followers, we are going to thrive in the holidays if we choose to. Because we need to remember that at Jesus' table, we can belong. At Jesus' table, we can belong. There is a time when you didn't belong, but Jesus said, let me pull a seat up for you. I got a chair for you specifically. So how can we build bridges of belonging with the difficult people that are going to be in our lives in the next few weeks? And I believe the scriptures, again, have some insight and some guidance for us. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. It's page 675 in your uh, Bibles if you want to open up your phones and all that stuff. And as you're kind of getting yourself set, let me give you a little bit of background of what's going on here. Matthew is one of Jesus' biographers. He's one of Jesus' close friends. And he's about to show us a list of all of the people that are going to be coming to Jesus' dinner table. I want you to imagine with me that God comes down to earth, is transformed into a human being, and then he's hosting a dinner party, but there's only 12 spots. And you would think, okay, this is God. He's holy, and he's, you know, so much bigger than everything. So he's going to have probably some really, really holy, special people. He's probably going to have, like, the Pope, Billy Graham, Tim Lucas, you know, really just, like, the, the, the major players are going to be at this table, right? But when you read, you know, this list, you know, sometimes we see these lists, we just kind of gloss over them in Scripture. But there's so much on this list that's really going to give us some insights for how we can thrive at the table in the next couple weeks. And so starting at verse 2, it says this. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter. If you see something in white, if you just say that with me, let's say this together. Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, say this with me, Thomas. And who? Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, you see, if we kind of take some time to maybe explore and kind of peel back some of the layers of this list, I believe that we're going to see three keys that are going to help us thrive during Thanksgiving and Christmas, maybe in a way that you've never thrived before. So the first key, if you're taking notes there, is this, is at Jesus' table, you can belong before you behave. You can belong before you behave. Let's look to see who's coming to the dinner table at Jesus' dinner. First, you have Matthew, or who I'm going to call Matt today. You know, Matt is a tax collector. Now, many, very few of us would say, you know, my favorite holiday is April 15th because I love paying taxes. Very few of us have that wiring, and if you do, yeah. Anyway, so, but you know what? Matthew's not just a tax collector. He's also really kind of a thief and a traitor. 
Because you see, when the Romans are collecting taxes and they recruit these tax collectors, they're just saying, hey, go collect you know, like 10 bucks. And they collect 200. They gouge people. They rip them off because they want it, they're greedy and they want more money. So Matt is the worst kind of sinner. He is the worst of the worst. Yet for some reason, Jesus has a spot for him at the table. In fact, here, here, here's how Matt gets to Jesus' table. Jesus is kind of hanging out and, and Matt is kind of shaking someone down. And Jesus says, hey, Matt, I got a spot for you at the table. Why don't you come over for dinner? You can have anything you want. It's on me. And Matt's going, Jesus, come on. Don't you know who I am? I'm a tax collector. You know, no one likes me, and I'm okay with that because I'm making the money. You don't want me at your table, Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough. I'm just rotten. You know what Jesus says? Matt, you don't have to get your behavior straight before you follow me. Just come to the table. Have some dinner. Let's talk. You know, one of the biggest lies I think goes around in the the world today is, before I can follow Jesus, I have to get my behavior straight. I have to do the right things, say the right things. I have to get all that stuff straight. But you see, Jesus says, just come. There's a spot for you. Just get over here. We got a spot for you at the table. And you see, to me, that's crazy. (laughs) Jesus is having dinner with a sinner. He wants to have dinner with you too. Before you get everything set up and straight in your life, he has a spot for you at the table. But you know, that's crazy in and of itself. But you know what else is crazy? Is the next guy that's coming to dinner. And that's Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot right here. Now, you know, here's my hope. My hope is that Matt and Simon don't see each other, right? I hope that Simon is seated way over on the other side of the table. And and they don't ever connect. Because you see, these are two guys that should not even be in the same room together. Simon is what's called a zealot. And here's what a zealot is. It's not someone that, you know, gets super excited about stuff. That sometimes, you know, someone's, like, zealous about, like, Apple products, and they're, like, standing in line for weeks to get the new eye, whatever. But a zealot here is a first-century political party. And I want you to imagine the Tea Party on crack, right? These guys are willing to do whatever it takes to overthrow the Romans. They will beg, borrow, steal, kill, even murder their own people, and they especially hate these guys because they see these guys as working for the man working for the institutions, trying to keep the status quo. But somehow, they're at the same table. Do you know people that just should not be in the same room together because you know it's just going to get bloody? You know, I was once on a mission trip with two guys like that. It was really kind of sad because we went to go share the love of Jesus. But literally, in the middle of it, they had a fist fight because they didn't like each other. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. We had to literally keep them apart. But literally, at Jesus' table, these two folks are seated there. And Jesus is right there in the middle. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if Ann Coulter and Bill Maher came over for dinner, right? That's a firefight. It's like lock the doors, close the windows, get out of here. But that's what's happening here. How is it that these two people could come together at the same table and break bread with Jesus? What's going on here? And here's what I think is happening here is when you sit at the table with Jesus, you can sit at the table with your worst enemies. Because it's not enough that we can just get along. Jesus wants to create, help people to belong. And Jesus helps ask us the bigger questions. Which is not simply, okay, how do we just kind of make this work? Rather, how can we live in community with one another? How can we live in a way where we can encourage and love one another? You see, their deep, deep, deep divisions of behavior, of culture, of ethnicity, of politics was transcended because Jesus' kingdom was bigger than that. When we have a bigger vision of Jesus, all that stuff that seems to keep us apart seems to fade away. Like, I'm sure Simon was at some point was thinking, man, I can't wait to take this knife with Jesus isn't looking and just put it right into Matthew's ribs. Just kind of take him out. But at Jesus' table, his kingdom is so different that Matthew's going to put the knife away. 
because he wants to honor Christ. See, that's what's so interesting that I'm kind of learning is that, you know, we can belong even before our behavior is correct. But what does that look like? How do we make that happen? And one of the things I didn't really share with you about my family is that my sister is an atheist. And that's what's interesting. And my brother is probably more of like an agnostic, right? And listen, I really, you know, love my brother. I respect him a lot. But what's interesting is, you know, I was kind of thinking about this going, you know, why is it that we don't have these ugly knockout, drag down fights? Why don't we have these battles? Or, or why is that, you know, we have some pretty good relationships, I think. And I was kind of talking about this with my sister. And one of the things that we really, she was saying was, well, Nathan, when we talk, I really get the sense that you actually listen to what I have to say. That you actually, you know, you know, you actually have the conversation, you listen. And, you know, I really appreciate that you guys make a space for us to kind of disagree. And sometimes the discussions get passionate and emotional, but yet we still have this mutual respect for one another. And so one of the things I've really been trying to cultivate with both my brother and sister, but with anybody, is I want to learn how to listen more than lecture. Would you say this with me? Listen more than lecture. Because so often when we get together with people that maybe they don't behave the way we want them to or they don't see the world the way we want them to, we can kind of go right into like battle mode, right? We start wanting to kind of fight and get our way known. But in James chapter 119, it says this. Would you say this with me? It says everyone should be what? Quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Interesting, right? Because love listens. You know how you show someone that you love them, that you care about them? You listen. You ask them questions. You, you kind of go deeper in the surface than simply just kind of trying to push through and get your own way. Because listen, in a couple weeks, you're going to be at the dinner table with people that are going to want to start some stuff, right? They're going to want to push your buttons. They're the crazy makers in your life. But God wants to equip you, like I said, not to survive the holidays, but to thrive by being a blessing and building bridges of belonging to these folks. Right now, I want to ask the ushers to kind of pass out a card. And really, what you're going to do with that card is you're going to kind of take it and you're going to fold it. And as you notice up here, I've got a, place, a placeholder for Matt and a placeholder for Simon. And this is kind of a placeholder for someone who's going to be coming to dinner in the next couple weeks. And I know you're thinking, okay, I, I have a Matt in my life. I got some right-wing guy that's going off about this or that, and, you know, they're going to drive me crazy if I sit next to them. That person's name's already coming up, I bet. Or maybe you've got someone that's super, super liberal, you know, and they're, you're, they're going to go off about, you know, Hillary and, and Obama and this or that, and you know it's going to drive you crazy. And you know what God's doing? God's saying, all right, that's the person whose name needs to go on this card. Because when you put their name on that card, you know what you're saying? You're saying this, all right, God, I'm going to surrender this person to you. I can't love them on my own power. I can't love them in my own ability, but you can, Jesus. So Jesus, by writing their name down, you're going to be able to have the ability and the power that comes through Christ to do that. You guys got pens? Let me hear the clicking. All right, listen to that. It's beautiful. The sound of clicking pens. Cool. So listen, when you get to the table in a couple weeks, my prayer is that you would start learning how to listen more than lecture. So imagine that you've got someone that's right here, and they're going to go off about their political views. They're not kind of in your stream. What would it look like if you said, you know, it's interesting that you think that, you know, that Donald Trump's going to save our country. Tell me why you think that. Why don't, you, why don't we go a little bit deeper into that and look into that? Tell me why you think that. Where is that coming from? Are we talking to someone that loves Obama and loves, uh, loves you know, the Democratic Party? Like, well, tell me more about that. See what you're doing. You don't have to agree, but you can start building bridges of belonging. Because here's the goal. By building bridges of belonging, eventually Jesus can walk across that bridge and transform their hearts as well as yours. Because remember, at Jesus' table, you can belong before you behave. 
But you know, these two guys aren't the only ones coming to dinner. You know who else is coming to dinner? Tommy boy. Thomas or Tom. See, many people look at Tom and they think, oh, it's doubting Thomas. He's the guy that always doubts. And he's such a, you know, he's, you know, he's kind of like the guy that we don't want to be like. But let me throw a different spin on Thomas. I actually think Thomas is the guy that really is asking good questions. So often, you know, Tom's like, you know, you know, can you imagine this with me? Tom just saw his best friend and teacher and mentor murdered and tortured. And then all of a sudden, his buddies are going up to go, Tom, Tom, you won't believe this. Jesus, he's alive. I saw him. He, he's from the dead. He appeared to us. He's alive. He's not dead. And I'm sure Tom is thinking, okay, calm down. Okay, no more Red Bull for you. But I'm, I'm sure you saw something, but it can't be Jesus. You can't be. He, he died in such a brutal, violent way. In fact, he says this in John 20. There we go. Unless I say this word with me, see the nail marks in his hands, and say this, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let me ask you something. Any of you have a cynic or a skeptic in your life? Someone that just does not want to believe and will find every excuse not to believe and will kind of push your buttons. And sometimes they'll just ask questions. And maybe it's their tone of voice or however it is, but you take that to heart and you get super defensive and you want to fight back. And, and, and then all of a sudden it becomes this, 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 this debate. But let's look and see how Jesus handled the, skeptic, the skepticism of Tom. Let's look at the next passage. It says this. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Let's say this bottom part together. Stop doubting and believe. Here's what's so cool about Jesus. He says, Tom, come to the table. I got a spot for you at the table. Go ahead, Tom. Look at my hands. I want you to examine the evidence for yourself. See my hands? What do, you, what do you see? See my side? Look into my side. And at Jesus' table, Tom, whose beliefs aren't all where they need to be yet, he is examining the evidence for himself. See, so often the people in our lives that are skeptics, often because they've heard secondhand information about Christianity, right? Maybe a professor made an offhand comment in a college class, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Or maybe, you know, they're watching an episode of Family Guy and said, yeah, that's exactly right, you know, and and that's defined what they think about Jesus or Christianity, something, something like that. But, you know, what if the skeptics in your life actually were waiting for you to help them examine the evidence? You know, throughout the history of Christianity, there have been men and women who have basically gone around saying, I'm going to disprove Christianity. I'm going to do the research, and, and I'm going to find out why things are the way they are. And what ends up happening is the opposite. They actually end up showing that Jesus is real and Christianity is true. One example of that is a guy named Lee Strobel. Lee is the, or was, the editor of the Chicago Tribune, staunch atheist, just did not want to, like, leave that. And so one day, Lee, was, you know, found out that his wife, who was an agnostic, converted to Christianity. And he's thinking, oh my gosh, my marriage is over. She's become this sexually repressed prude, and then, and then I'm just going to want to, like, not want to be around her, and she's going to want to, you know, like, serve the poor in Calcutta or something like that. So, you know, he's kind of thinking this, but then he is what's interesting. He sees his wife transform, but it's not in the way he thinks. She's more loving to the kids. She's more loving to him. She's more present. And he sees there's something going on in her at a heart level. So when she invites him to church, he goes, all right, I'll go. Only so I can get you out of this cult. So they go to church, and then he hears the gospel, and he's like, wait a minute. There's, there's something to this gospel thing. So if this is true, this could be significant. 
So what Lee does is he does some research. He spends one year and nine months researching the claims of Christianity, the historical Jesus, on and on and on. You know what he finds out? He finds it's going to take him more blind faith to stay an atheist than become a Christian. So then Lee says, I'm going to, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he details this journey in his book, The Case for Christ. Phenomenal book about his journey moving from skepticism to belief. You see, I believe more than anything else that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but it's a friend of faith. And you see this in the life of Tom, where Tom was allowed, just as Lee Strobel was, to examine the evidence. Because oftentimes, you know, there's people in our lives, you know, maybe you've got someone who's a hardcore scientific skeptic, and you know you're going to be with them in a couple weeks, and you know it's going to come up, you know, they're going to be like, listen, if I, I can't be a Christian and believe the world's only 6,000 years old, or this or that, and science disproves this, and, and what if you did this? What if you came prepared? You know, you wrote their name on the card, right? Their name's on the card. You know who the skeptic is. He said, listen, I know that every year, this is what we do. We are going to argue about Christianity. I'm going to feel more right. You're going to feel more right. We're just going to get stuck in the same place. What if we did this? What if we read this book together? There's a book called The Language of God by Francis Collins. He was the head of the Human Genome Project. He's the director of the National Institute of Health. He's a real scientist, and he's a real man of God. What if we read this book together and talked about it? Because your skepticism and your cynicism is going to make me ask better questions and grow in my faith. See what you're doing there? You're building a bridge of belonging to someone. Or, or maybe they're not like those hard-nosed scientific skeptics. Maybe they're more kind of like an artistic skeptic, like my brother, who's more like, you know, I don't understand Christianity. There's all these rules and regulations and all these, you know, you stand, you sit, all this stuff. I just, I just don't get that. Another great book that you can say, hey, why don't we sit down and work through this book? It's called Blue Like Jazz by this guy named Don Miller. Why don't we sit down and just talk about it? We can Skype when you go back home. So rather than kind of having this debate, you're saying, let's examine the evidence together. Let's examine the evidence together. And see what you're doing? You're building bridges of belonging rather than barriers. Bridges of belonging where one day, as Jesus has transformed our hearts, will hopefully transform the skeptics and the cynics in our lives. You know, I think a great testament could be you, your, your relatives leave Thanksgiving and think, you know, I don't really agree with them, but I can tell that they really care about me, and they really do take my questions seriously. There's nothing that will give, build more credibility between the skeptics and cynics in your life if they can leave with that takeaway. You see, we can belong before we believe. You know, our beliefs don't have to be all set and right and where they need to be, but we can simply come to the table. And as we come to the table and examine the evidence, we're going to see God meet us in those places. And not only that, I really think that we can see transformation in the lives of those who are in our family. So like I said, you can belong before you believe. We talked earlier about belonging before you behave. You don't have to have all your behavior set up in the right way. You can just come to the table. There's a spot for you. And the final dinner guest that's coming to the table is going to show us this key, which is this. At Jesus' table, you can belong before you blow up, before you blow it. You can belong before you blow it. Blowing up is something different. <laughs> and I don't really think I need to give you too much of an introduction to Judas. Judas is the betrayer, right? He was the guy that comes to Jesus' table and, is, and actually betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Takes the knife and just plunges it into Jesus' back. He's a backstabber, a deceiver. And you know what I think is so fascinating about Judas? Jesus is God, right? 
Most of us would agree with that. If Jesus is God, he knows what Judas is going to do. And if he knows what Judas is going to do, why in the world did he have a place at Jesus' table? Do you think Kennedy would have had Lee Harvey Oswald over for dinner if he knew what was going to happen? It just, it, it boggles my mind. But he knew it. And not only did he have a place at the table, he was one of Jesus' inner circle. And not only that, Jesus gave Judas a job. Judas, who couldn't be trusted with stealing money, Jesus made him the treasurer. To me, that's so crazy. Jesus, what are you doing? Do you, this, is, this is crazy to me that you would let Judas come so close into your life and then hurt you so badly. But the reality is, for many of you, is when you gather around the table, there's people that you're going to sit with that have hurt you pretty deeply. There are people that you know that have essentially taken the knife and plunged it into your back. Maybe it was someone that you once were in love with and said, we're going to do life together forever, but then they betrayed you and they hurt you. They blew it. And so now, instead of having a holiday together, your holidays are separated. And you know you're going to see your ex again, but you're going to see them at the Olive Garden parking lot as you're going to exchange kids because they're going to be going over to your exes for the holidays. And at that moment, you have a choice. You can either fold your arms, hold on to the bitterness and hate, and just stay closed off. Or you can open your arms, take that risk of vulnerability, and begin to move in the direction of forgiveness. And you see, I think Judas had a similar choice. You see, what the scriptures tell us about Judas is this, is that when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, say this with me in white, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. You know why I think that's so interesting? Judas knew that he blew it. He was filled with remorse. He knew he messed up. He had a choice right then and there. Was he going to be closed off or was he going to be open up to seek the forgiveness of Jesus? And so we know what happens next. The next verse, it says this. He went away and say this together. Hanged himself. Judas made a choice that couldn't be reversed. He took his own life. But you know what I find so interesting is that Judas wasn't the only disciple that betrayed Jesus. There was another guy that did that too. Remember him? Pete. This was the guy who said, yo, Jesus, I got your back. Jesus, no matter what, if people come after you, I will die first. And he was the first to run. He was the first to deny Jesus. But what's the difference between Judas and Peter over here, right? What, what, what is the difference? You see, Judas was interesting. Judas blew it, and he just blew up. But Peter blew it and had a seat at the table. What happened? Here's what I think happened. I think Peter remembered the words that Jesus spoke that night at the table, right? Jesus was with his disciples, and he took the bread, and he said, Hey, guys, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. And when you break the bread, you're going to remember that you can have forgiveness for your sins. And this is my, my, my blood shed for you. And every time you drink this, remember that you can have forgiveness, that you can trust in my sacrifice for your sins and find a new way of doing life a new beginning. I think Peter remembered those words and came back to the table because he knew he had a place still. That Jesus' table was big enough for him to belong no matter how badly he blew it. And so for many of you today, you've got 
Maybe it's a spouse. You've got someone who's betrayed you, and you know their name's got to go on this card. But you're like, Nathan, I can't write their name down. You don't know what they've done to me. And you're right, I, I don't know. I'm sure if you sat down at the table with me and you told me, I, I would agree with you. But listen, when you withhold forgiveness, bitterness grows, and it corrupts your heart, not theirs. It does more damage to you than to them. But if you can take that step of faith, maybe it's with your ex and say, I'm going to forgive them, you're the one that's set free. And only by the power of Jesus can you not only simply forgive them, but give them a place at the table. Or maybe it's not an ex. Maybe it's actually a parent. It's a family member. And they did something to you that was simply unspeakable. They hurt you deeply. Or maybe they should have been protecting you, but instead they looked away as someone else hurts you deeply. And in the midst of that, you've been filled with shame and guilt and pain for years and decades. And you're thinking, I'm going to see that person at this table, and we've been pretending everything's okay. What do I do with this? First step is you've got to put your name on this card. It's time for you to be set free through forgiveness. Or maybe it's someone at work. They took credit for something you've put a lot of your time, energy, and effort into. And because they took the effort for it, they ended up getting the promotion. They got the raise. And you're just feeling angry and resentful. And Jesus is saying, it's time to kind of get you get free of that. When there's failure, forgive. When you forgive when there's failure, you're set free. See, it's not about surviving the holidays, but thriving. And the people here, to begin the journey of forgiving them and embracing them. There will be a season where there's going to be some struggle and exclusion, but at one point there will be embrace, and they can find a place at the table. So who's coming to dinner? Just remember, at Jesus' table, you can belong (laughs) before you behave. You can belong before you believe, and you can belong before you blow it. Jesus has made a space for you. So who's coming to dinner? Who who are you going to have in these chairs that's on your card that you need to start receiving the power of Jesus to love and to forgive and open up a spot for? You know, I don't remember who I was was talking to, but someone said to me, Hey, Nathan, you know, you've got little kids. You've got a five-year-old and a son that's almost two, and... You know, they're going to get older, and you've got some family members that aren't believers. You know, they have some very different radical beliefs. Um, You know, you've got a sister who's an atheist. You know, she could kind of affect your kids in a negative direction. You have a brother who's a musician. Um, You know, they may never get jobs, right? Uh, Are you going to kind of limit the exposure? And I remember thinking to me, to me that just seems so ridiculous. It seemed ridiculous because... For me, being at Jesus' table has encouraged me to be radically inclusive to everyone in my life that doesn't believe the same things I do, behave the same way I do, or even when they have a track record of blowing it. You know, my wife really does this well. I want my kids to see how we react to the people in our lives that don't believe the same things we do, or have the same values that we do. I want our kids to see how we respond to them, how we love them. It won't be perfect, but you see, I want my kids to have a deep, deep faith in Jesus and in a Christianity that is 
radically inclusive in the sense that all people can come to know Jesus and have a space at the table. I don't want my kids getting mad about red cups at Starbucks, right? That's ridiculous to me. I want my kids upset when there's injustice in the world. I want my kids mad when people are being exploited and oppressed. I want my kids mad because there's people that don't know Jesus, and they want to be a source of light and encouragement and healing to those people. Those are the things that I want my kids to be passionate about, not the culture war stuff, not the other stuff. Because at Jesus' table, you can belong before you believe. For some of you here, the name you wrote down is you've got someone that you're gonna come, that's coming to dinner that you, you just don't know what to do with them. Their views are crazy. You just kind of want to run away and tune out when Jesus is telling you it's time to lean in, listen more than lecture. You got some other folks that are coming that they're cynical, they're skeptical, they ask questions, you don't know how to answer them, and you, you just want to freak out. But Jesus is saying, help them examine the evidence. Pick up Language of God by Francis Collins. Pick up um, Blue Like Jazz by Don Miller. Help them kind of start working through some of that stuff. Because you know what you do by, by that very act? You're building bridges of belonging. And you know what? You can belong even before you blow it. That person who blew it, who hurt you, that you need to forgive, you need to build a bridge of belonging to. Where there's failure, you can offer forgiveness. It's not easy. It's not something you can do in your own power. You need the power of Jesus to be able to do that. So in a moment, we're going to take these cards, and as a community, we're going to surrender these names to Jesus. You know, I think it's interesting that look at Jesus' table here. You know, Jesus broke bread with all sorts of scoundrels and sinners, screw-ups, scumbags. He broke bread with them. Breaking bread is a very, very intimate act. It's a hard act. But yet he did that. Why? Because this is God's heart. That those who were far off, that were alien, could find a way home. Home with Jesus. And so a moment, we're going to celebrate this table together. The Lord's table. And here's what we're going to do with these cards. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then after we pray, we're going to take communion together. See, what's great about communion, it's this idea that we're communing with God. You know, we come, we have union with God through the bread and through the juice. And as we have communion with God, we can have union with one another. It's through the power of Christ that we can have reconciliation to those around us. So you're going to take your card, and you're saying, Jesus, I can't love these people on my own power and ability, so I surrender. I'm going to put it on the table. And you're going to put the cards on the table to say, Jesus, we want to hand this over to you. And then you're going to take the bread, you're going to take the juice, and you're going to say, Jesus, I need what you can give me to love these people. I can't do it on my own. I don't have the ability or the will. You need to transform it. And then as you take those elements, we're going to ask Jesus to meet us in the midst of our brokenness and vulnerability so that we can, again, thrive, not just survive. Because his plans for you are so much bigger than the limitations of what your families have done and can do in our lives. Let's pray. Father, when we got here, we were singing some songs to you. And that one line in Oceans that 
We want our trust to expand beyond our borders, Jesus. And the very act that we're saying, Jesus, we need to begin to forgive. We need to begin to make room in our heart for skeptics. We need to make room in our hearts for those who simply behave in ways that we could not endorse or even love. God, we can't do that on our own. We need the power of Jesus. And so, fathers, we are here before you with our hands open. We just want to acknowledge that, God, we need you. As we come up and we take these cards, God, we surrender these names to you, Jesus, because on our own, we can't love them the way you love them. Help us to love those that you love and hate the things that you hate, that we could be instruments of your grace and your mercy. So God, as we're about to come to your table, we just ask that you'd begin the transformation process, that you'd begin the healing process, that we'd be made new, so that when we encounter those that have hurt us, that have uh, silenced us, or simply make us feel awkward or insecure, help us to love them so, (laughs) so powerfully that they leave change because they've literally been in your presence. May you be the one in us who shines brighter than our own junk in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.